Hello and welcome to the Flex. It's Matt St. Jean here with Joe Howie as usual. And we're here to do something that has not been usual this season, and that's reflect on a Friars loss. Providence fell at Marquette in brutal fashion, lost by 32 points, tying Eddie Hooley's worst loss, I believe, with Providence with that Florida game at Barclays Center a couple years ago. We've given this a couple of days to kind of cool off and think about it. Joe, where where are you at now about this game? Um, so just to, to put it out there, I didn't watch the full game. Um, I watched about 30 minutes of it when the score was 66-35 and the game was pronounced analytically complete. Um, that's when I turned the TV off and started watching Designated Survivor on Netflix. <laughs> Um, I, we needed, I, I, you need, you know, you need a couple days to digest a loss like this. Um, and I think as a disclaimer right now, you know, we'll, we'll put this out there at the beginning, uh, one notch in the loss column doesn't kill you. Um, no. it's embarrassing the loss. Absolutely. But one notch in the loss column next to 13 wins at this point in the season absolutely does not kill you. So I, I think we built ourselves a comfortable enough cushion to allow for a loss, especially if you look at the the landscape of the games we've played, four conference games, three of them were on the road. The the chances of losing one on the road were likely. Losing by 32 to a statistically inferior opponent, that's where it gets a little sketchy, but one loss on the season next to another loss does not hurt you tremendously, especially in this league. Um, With that said, this isn't a positive like this losing by 32 is not a positive, but for all the people out there gunning for Ed Cooley's head and say, same old friars, turn off the podcast right now and stop listening. We don't want you to yeah. listen because yeah. that just shows you're a bandwagoner. So if you if you yeah. gun for Ed Cooley's head, uh, turn off Apple Podcasts or Spotify right now. Yeah, and that's why like, the last time the friars lost like this, I, I was one of those guys gunning for Ed Cooley's head. That was a totally different scenario. When you fall to six and six in non-conference play, because you get killed by Florida on a neutral site after you've already lost to Charleston and Long Beach State and all those other games. Yeah, that's bad. When it's your second loss of the season and it's on the road in conference play, when you were literally one game short of the the best record, Ed Cooley of tying Ed Cooley's best record. In Providence to start a year, um, if the Friars won this, it would have been four and zero in conference play for the first time. I mean, winning this game, I think, was just going to be difficult, especially when you have an incredibly motivated Marquette team on the other side. This is a, a desperate team that came to play for Marquette, and the the reaction that I've seen around college basketball has just been kind of, what like what the, what the hell was that? Looking at this game, yeah. and just a, a surprise. This game in a vacuum doesn't tell you anything. What tells you something is how the team responds to it. You got to prove that this was a blip. Villanova did it. They got killed at Creighton. Turn around a couple weeks later, Creighton comes, visits them, and it's not close. They blow them out. Friars need to respond with that same kind of mental toughness and just good play because that was not out there at Pfizer Forum. Yeah, exactly, Matt. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, this says nothing about the team. If anything, it shows maybe a mental lapse. I, I think you can look at a couple of, of not excuses, but pretense factors here. Providence hasn't been home 
since before the DePaul game. They spent the New Year's on the road. They traveled from DePaul to Milwaukee, where Marquette's located. The, the team was due for a loss. They were on an eight-game win streak, had won three on the road. Uh, you know, you can the list goes on and on. They were due for a loss. This was a Marquette team that was mentally and physically drained. They came out desperate, and they played desperate, and that's what you saw. Um, my my one gripe with Marquette, though, is – and I haven't liked this guy for years. Greg Elliott, who plays for Marquette, is grinning in the camera, and he's waving his arms around on the court. He had zero points. Like, like oh, come on. Chill. Like, if you, if you want to be happy for your team, fine. But if you're going to start making faces at the camera, maybe put something on the stat sheet, you know? Yeah. But that, that's – other yeah. than that, I think Marquette played a fine game. One thing that was really annoying, I thought was shock smart. And don't get me wrong. If I played basketball, I would love to play for a coach like that. Somebody that's that energetic, but going against him, especially in that first half when Marquette was just locked in on defense and nothing was falling for Providence. Watching him in his like defensive stance on the sideline coming onto the court at points. Don't get, like he, he was all the, Marquette had six players on the floor. If you count their head coach on defense at some points <laughs> in that first half. And that was just irritating beyond belief. But certainly the most irritating part is that you get no Reeves for this game. And we have no idea when A.J. Reeves is coming back. It just nobody else can knock down shots. Nobody steps up around him. Uh, I think, too, the narrative surrounding Reeves all over Twitter, uh, you've got some guys who don't really report a lot. You've got other guys who are notable and accredited reporters in the Rhode Island community saying, oh, Reeves is going to play tonight. And then you have to find out three minutes before the broadcast starts that he's out with a broken finger. I just think that's a lapse in reporting right there. Like, yes, yeah, you're not somebody had that intel. <laughs> if you're not certain about something, don't put it out there because that completely changes from a fan's perspective how how you're mentally preparing for the game. Not that that even matters in the grand scheme of things, but don't put out something unless you're absolutely certain that it's true. Um, and, it's, and by the I way, I, like, I do think it's I do think it's entirely possible that the team leaked that information to a reporter intentionally so that Marquette thought he would be playing and would prepare for him. That is something teams do all the time. But yeah, I mean, Ed Cooley said after the game, he was asked, was there at any point any chance that AJ Reeves would play? And he looked dead in the camera and just goes zero. So that, that about sums up how that situation was. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then another thing I, I, I'd like to say um, to Jeff Goodman, the national media, UConn fans, Seton Hall fans and Wisconsin fans um, and Marquette fans, too, that this game doesn't count because Providence was missing a starter in A.J. Reeves. So by the logic of the national media, by the logic of no escalators, who's the big UConn Twitter account, by the logic of Kevin Willard, by the logic of everyone who's doubted the Friars this season, this game doesn't count for Marquette because we missed a starter. Oh, sorry. So, guys, we're actually no fear. We're still 13 and one. And this yeah. one just gets dropped because we were missing a starter. Yeah. Isn't it funny yeah. to hear that on the other side? Yeah. To, to, to all those people yeah. I just mentioned that won't listen to this. Isn't it funny <laughs> to hear it on the other side? Yeah. Now, you know who I actually really liked their take on this in the national media? Joe Lunardi. Lunardi. Yeah. yeah. He, his response was Providence gets a mulligan. And that's the thing. That's the difference between this team and two or three years ago. You earned that mulligan by playing really good games and beating really good teams beforehand. Yep. That's why 
for the most part, most of the rational fans are not losing their minds over this. It sucks. It's a bad game. You need to play better than that. No, but and I, this, I agree, this Matt. Off- yeah, this offense has had two bad games all year. In, what, how many games? 15 games? So if every seven or eight games you have a really bad game and you're really good the other ones, you're going to win a lot of games. So I'm okay with that. Normally, Matt, I... I Joe, I get irritated with Joe Lunardi. Um, I, I oftentimes think that he undervalues the Friars, but to 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 see, I, I know exactly the tweet you're referencing. I think you even quoted it. I did to see that he that he is giving us a mulligan, and he's one of the more nationally accredited bracketologists. Like I think that says something. And it, what I also think is worth noting is that even f- like fans like you and I who are, were being uncharacteristically positive after a 32 point blowout like we can have sight of the bigger picture here and understand that yes this game sucked to watch because if you were if we recorded seconds after the game my face would have been red (laughs) and i probably would have been in orbit by now we'd have to get the bleep button out (laughs) oh absolutely it would have been one of those but i I think if you look at the the broad stroke season like this is one loss it's bad, and, and it shows a couple of flaws and weaknesses that we really need to work on, but it's only one loss compared exactly. to 13 wins. Yeah, it counts. I mean, some of college basketball, obviously it's like metrics-based and things like that. So, yeah, this hurt the Friars quite a bit for things like that. But it's easy to make this up when it comes to resume. It's actually it's interesting. Um, I was reading an article this morning, and I cannot for the life of me remember who it is. I'll try to link it in the description. I'll find it again so you guys can read it. But it was an analysis on how teams get seeded for March Madness. And um, basically it said if you, if you have a resume that's decent, you know, like if you're a bubble team, resume is what matters, not metrics. And already at this point, the Friars have a really good resume. If the Friars go 10 and 10 in conference play, they're gonna. They're easily in the tournament based on resume alone. They yep. already have so many quality wins that you're gonna be like. They went ten and ten in conference play. We're not even on the bubble. We're probably like a nine seed, maybe an eight seed. Like that. That's the range Providence would be in. So we're gonna be all set now. They, if you want to get seated higher, that's where the metrics really do start to come into account. So that's where you want to put together some stronger performances um, going through Big East play. Yep. That's definitely an area where this team can improve from game to game. But this is, again, as far as the resume goes, this is one loss on the road to a talented team with a well-regarded head coach that had their backs up against the wall. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. There's really not too much you can say. Um, there, there are some specific things that you know you can nitpick about the game. I, I do think it's worth noting that right out of the gate in the second half, we started feeding Watson the ball, and of course, it's like in three attempts he hits two of his buckets. You know, like yeah. like yeah. he is a highly regarded big man for a reason, and sometimes I think. The players and you can't even blame the coaches because you can see like they go to the corner wing and they try and like give them that little bounce pass around. But teams have adapted and they're learning how to prevent the entry pass to Watson. I think the team just gives up and you can see the frustration on his face. I mean, he's underperformed the last two games and rightfully so because he guys aren't passing him the ball anymore. 
And yeah, I think yeah. that says more about the team and, and learning how to adapt to adversity than it does about him. Like he yeah. wants the ball and he's not a ball handler, so he needs to be past the ball. Yeah. And I think it's to go with that. If you want, I mean, at this point, it's going to be the headline on every scouting report for every opponent we play. It's going to be defend the paint. Do not let Nate Watson get the ball. You can play perfect defense on Nate Watson. Once he has the ball, he'll he's still probably going to beat you. So you have to do everything you can to stop him from getting the ball. Yep. That's much easier. And the Friars can't hit shots from deep. Because if you don't have to defend the three-point line, you can have an extra defender stay in the paint and help you out. And that's kind of the story of the first half of this game. You have no A.J. Reeves, who's your highest volume three-point shooter. Noah Horker, who's your most efficient three-point shooter, doesn't take one in the first half. And you have guys, I mean, Durham, he ended up hitting two. Bynum ended up hitting two. But your next guy, I mean, Horker only took one. Alan Breed, he went 0 for 4. I think he had a real rough game. And that's the thing. The next guy's up didn't have good games, didn't step up, which meant Marquette could commit to being aggressive and physical in the paint, which is just going to make life hell for Nate Watson. And despite yeah. that, Watson, I mean, he still got eight points. He still got eight rebounds. Not a bad game. It's not what you're usually going to have from him, and I think we'd both like to see a little bit more. But with that said, I think a lot of the reasons why he had a, a lower statistical performance are, are less his fault. Right. Like, I forget how to say that big man's name. Hold on, let me find the pronunciation oh is it um, kirk Kurth or whatever yeah, kirk Quath or whatever his name is like he, he's not like a, a five-star paint defender sure he had seven blocks but if you're going to count the blocks against like breed and mania and guys who are smaller than him like duh he's not blocking watson's shot but no, because that, watson isn't taking shots he's not getting the ball yeah and to be fair i also i thought marquette's paint defense was top-notch i thought they did a really good job oh. i thought i thought he was good i thought Igadaro was good i thought omax prosper was good justin lewis justin lewis had a really good game in the paint he had a double double he had 11 rebounds and oh, no, yeah i i agree yeah they just kind of out toughed the friars and i don't know it's it doesn't matter what sport you're playing if the opponent knows what you're going to do in advance they're going to have an advantage at stopping it and that's kind of what happened here. You don't hit threes and the floor gets real small on you. I would have liked to see a little bit more driving from the guards, I think. Yeah. A little bit. And I thought a lot of the guys, you could see the team wasn't confident after no. they got off to a shaky start. And other than the 12 2 run they had, they couldn't hit shots. And I thought they were hesitating a lot. Uh, too many pump fakes, too, too much hesitation, not just putting shots up for the most part when they put shots up that they wanted to put up they were falling um yeah al durham he only hit one shot inside the arc and if i'm remembering it correctly it was a pull-up from the free throw line in yep. transition he just stopped picked the spot and took it sunk i i was gonna say too aside from alan breed who, who for some reason had all the confidence in the world after missing almost all of his shots um horkler looked a little frightened to be taking three pointers and you credit marquette's defense they were swarming him like crazy like every time he got the ball on the perimeter someone was there before he even had a chance to blink but it, it almost looked like he was passing up opportunities and uh, i i think that's what happens like you, you, the t- your opponent goes on a 20 nothing run shuts you down they're up 20 points at the half like you come out and your confidence is shot. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's really it. I think Ed Croswell off the bench continues to be a, a bright spot this season. Um, 
And I say that like we're having a bad season. It's, we're having a fantastic no. season. And Ed Croswell is a, a major piece of that. He had second, 11 and second 7. Second leading scorer. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think at the end of the day, like you look beyond this one. There, there's stuff you can nitpick, but at the end of the day, a lot it's one loss. Um, but what's most important from this is how you respond to it. Ed Cooley woke up yesterday morning and was a guest on the Barstool Bench Mob podcast, and he seemed all cheery and ready to go for this weekend. So you know, if the guy in charge isn't, you know, I, and I'm sure the the players are getting it at practice, but if the guy in charge is publicly saying like, you know what, like we're just gonna get back in the gym and you know we're gonna come out Saturday ready to go, I I think I'm on board with that. Yeah, hey, Cooley after the game was in his press conference. He was pretty steady. He was very. It was clearly upset and disappointed with the team, but also not. It, it, he wasn't being there like, oh man, this is bad. It was like, all right, on to the next one. Like that was clearly the mentality. And he signed off the podcast by saying, like, make no mistake, we're going to be ready to play on Saturday. Which yeah. this is going <laughs> to imagine this is going to be quite a week at practice for those guys. Hearing that oh, yeah. quote. Um, but yeah, Friars turn around, and you got to play a, a pretty good St. John's team at home. A St. John's team that has given them fits recently, and it's coming off a big win at home over DePaul. Yeah, um, St. John's under the the helm of uh, oh god, Mike Anderson has been pretty good against Providence as of lately, and Mike Anderson himself against Providence has done pretty good as of recently he's four and one over the last five meetings with one of those meetings being uh the nit game in the 2018 2019 season when he was the coach of arkansas and they played at the dunk so say for lack of a better term you know mike anderson has ed cooley's goat like he's got him um yeah and if if you look at the the way that st john's plays it's not that different than what marquette does they're going to play fast. They're going to play aggressive. They're going to get in your face, and they're going to try to force turnovers. So this will be – from that perspective, this is going to be a good test to see if Providence can kind of right away fix some of the schematic mistakes that they were making against Marquette. Just fix some of the executional stuff. Like obviously their shot making and confidence and all of those X factors, but simple X's and O's, this is a good test for the Friars. Yeah, I agree. Um I think it's noteworthy, too. Nate Watson had two of his best performances of the season in both losses to St. John's last year. At the, at not the dunk. I was going to say the dunk. At Alumni <laughs> Hall, he put up a 30-piece on them. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's important, too, looking forward into this game, is that St. Saint John's comes into this one having gotten the best of the Friars last season, but they had no answer for Watson. They had no answer for him at Carnesecca. They had no answer for him at Alumni. And uh, let's... Let's hope the Dunkin' Donuts Center fuels another performance where they have no answer for them again. Yeah, and if you look at this roster for St. John's, this is it's not a particularly big team. Um, they have Joel Soriano, who's a transfer. By the way, I, everybody on this roster is new to the program. We actually <laughs> have yeah, we have Thomas Cavanaugh from over on the St. John's side of things, who's going to be on for the second half of this podcast, and we're going to break down this roster a little bit more in depth. Um, but they don't. This is something we talked about there too. But they don't have a lot of good big men. So if they can't deny Watson the ball, he's gonna have a field. Day, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, 
And aside from Watson, because I think this is that's the obvious one you look at. Like he's coming off of two down games. You know, the team gets their ass kicked at Marquette. Like he's going to come out thirsty. He's your leader, and you know he's going to want the homecoming game after a loss like this to to be one hell of a show. He's going to come out thirsty. He's going to remember the thirty piece he put up on St. John's. Like I'm not worried about that. What I am worried about is is Julian Champagny because that man is a problem. Yeah, what do you have, what, 34 and 17 against the poll? <laughs> you, you hear all this national talk about Colin Gillespie, Colin Gillespie, Colin. Look, everyone's overlooking Julian Champagny. I think he's the sleeper for Big East Player of the Year. He's so good. It was th- 34 points and 16 rebounds against the poll. He is yeah. this team. They go as he does. <laughs> yeah, he and he is so good. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's the number one problem here. If you're Providence, so you got to find a way to stop him. And I mean, this is a St. John's team that really likes to play fast. They're gonna push the tempo. They're second in offensive tempo on Ken Palm right now. They don't keep the ball around very long. They pass it, get their open shot, and go. So the defense, they have to get back and they have to execute. You can't have yeah. these these sets like they did against Marquette, where you're giving up open baskets because St. John's they're they're gonna try to push you get as many of those two-on-ones, three-on-twos to get open looks as possible. I agree, Matt. I think transition defense is going to be vital. I, I think Horkler and Minaya are the two defensive guys you really got to watch, especially Minaya, because more likely than not, he's going to be tasked with guarding Champagny. You know, mm-hmm. Ed Cooley put it on full display after the DePaul game that Justin Minaya is our defensive guy. He's a defensive Big East, uh, de- Big East defensive player of the year front runner. Like, He's going to get the Champagny matchup. So transition defense is so important for him, making sure he gets a body on Julian Champagny. It's going to be a tough one. This this is no cupcake. And I think Marquette, who statistically is inferior to us, proves that. I think Creighton blowing out Villanova, then Villanova blowing out Creighton proves that. There's no cupcakes in the Big East anymore. No. I think, honestly, I think there's two pretty simple ways to beat St. John's and kind of not let them get into the tempo they want to do. You really, you got to control the ball in two ways. One, you can't turn it over. That's an issue they had early against Marquette. They had two turnovers right off the bat in that game. You can't do that. St. John's is going to press you. This is going to be a good test for the guards, your backcourt. Jared Bottom, Al Durham, can you recover from that last game and just handle the ball well to start? The other part, St. John's does not defend rebounding very well. They give up offensive rebounds at one of the worst rates in all of college basketball. So, while in one sense you might say, all right, they like to push the pace. If you miss a shot, get everybody back. In another sense, you might want to do the opposite. Crowd the paint, get everybody down there, and go for these second and third looks. Because if you crowd the paint, I mean, if they're they're trying to get out and go, they're not going to have a lot of guys down there. You're going to be able to win rebounds and hit shots. So not only are yeah. you going to score and get easier looks, now now they have to inbound it. Now they can't go with that pace that they like to. Yep. Uh, also, I think it's worth noting, too, this is a Providence team that loves to rebound. Justin Minaya, Noah Horkler, Watson, Croswell, even when he's healthy, Reeves. Like, uh, our guys like to get bored. So uh, I, I think if you're going to you're gonna try and look at, like, the individual pieces uh, of what success is going to mean for us, it's rebounding, it's transition defense, limiting turnovers, and, and I think smart shooting, Matt, to build on what you were just saying as well. 
I like. <laughs> I don't want to say this in a way to knock the kid, but I would prefer giving the ball to Watson in the paint than an Allen Breed contested three. And I know, you know, without Reeves, it's going to be tough. You have to pick and choose who's shooting your threes. I think Allen Breed's purpose is defensive guard. He's not yeah. necessarily the guy you want taking those contested threes. Durham, maybe. But if you can get the ball in the paint, get it in the paint. We don't need a three. Yeah. Yeah. And like, if you if you look ahead on the schedule, your games against Creighton, UConn, Seton Hall, like having A.J. Reeves back or at least some three-point shooting presence would be huge for those. You don't need it to beat St. John's. And and they don't defend the three very well either. So I think you can shoot better than you usually would with Reeves out. But I think you really just got to hammer the paint here. I will yeah. say, St. John's gets a lot of blocks. Joel, Joel Soriano gets two a game. Champagne gets almost two a game. As I don't even know. I mean, he's positionless. He just does everything out there. But yeah. I mean, you got to be on the watch out for that. St. John's is going to try to muck it up and make it physical when you're in the paint. But you you should be bigger and tougher than they are. And yep. if the team... it's. It's one thing if you can't come out motivated on the back half of a road trip when you've been stuck in your hotels. It's another thing if you can't come out motivated at home after a loss against a team that you should be. Yeah. So. Yep. No, no, I agree. This 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 game says more mentally about this team than it does anything else. I don't care if we win by one point because a win is a win is a win is a win. This is mm-hmm. a, a mental get right game. Yeah. And things get tough after this. So. You need to win because if you lose this one and you can't get right, again, your next three, Creighton, UConn, Seton Hall, two of those three on the road. If you don't get right, if you can't get back into the swing of things, this could turn into a losing streak real quickly. And then that Marquette game isn't an anomaly. Then nobody's giving you a mulligan for it anymore. So this is a pivotal game. That's for sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I know we talked a lot about like Watson who else would you, you say could be an X factor for the Friars on Saturday? Jared Bynum. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think Watson and Manaya are pretenses, you know, Manaya defensively, Watson offensively. But let, let's look at playmaking. You know, let's look at poking the ball away and getting a steal from a guard. You know, Jared Bynum. I, I think he's going to be important when Bynum is on and he's making plays. This is a scary Providence team when he's poking the ball away on defense and he's being a pesky defensive guard. We're scary in transition, especially when Bynum and Durham are both on the floor because you could have Bynum running the point and Durham running um, the down the sideline and transition for the touchdown pass or vice versa. So yeah. I, I think having two ball handling guards present at the same time is super important. So I, I think Jared Bynum could have a really big impact. I also think Noah Horkler needs to get right game. Um, yeah, honestly, I, I, I'm going to say the whole team, but if I'm going to pick out one guy, Jared Bynum. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And Bynum's a very good ball handler. I'd like to see him bounce back from a game where he struggled at points against Marquette, which, yeah. again, everybody did. I'm not singling any player out, but... He'll have an opportunity to step up here against St. John's. So hopefully the Friars can do it. They need this win. I know Cooley, again, very confident in their preparation for this one. He's been he's been confident in their preparation all year long in a way. I don't think I've heard him talk about previous Friar teams that way. No, he's, he has not. He, yeah, he, he has stressed how well prepared this team is. 
and how how well they do their scouting. I think that was obvious against DePaul. DePaul is not as bad as they looked against the Friars on uh, last Saturday, and Fri- Providence is not as bad as they looked against Marquette Tuesday night. It's just how bad no. basketball goes. <laughs> yep, so. I agree. It, it, it's the nature of the conference. Yeah, and it's the nature of just college basketball, especially with a lot of there's a lot of talented teams out there that are inconsistent. So. They're going to have a game or two where they're really good. Sometimes that's going to be against you. And, well, that sucks. It happens. So get back off the mat and bounce back. You, you can't have a losing streak. You just you can't get into that point. So, yeah. This game is at noon on Saturday at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. The Friars right now 13-2, and 3-1 and in conference play. St. John's 9-3, and 1-0 and in conference play. That one win coming against DePaul Wednesday night. This will be an interesting one. Next up, it's going to be Thomas Cavanaugh, so stay tuned for that. Joe, any last words before we head to our second segment? Go Friars. Hello, welcome back to The Flex. I'm joined now by Thomas Cavanaugh. He does play-by-play for St. John's Basketball. He's a student there and a very active Twitter user. So make sure you're following him on Twitter to get all of his thoughts. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's always nice to have somebody on the other side of these games. I'll start off first question here. St. John's has had a lot of turmoil around the program in the last year. A lot of change over a lot of new faces. How have the fans taken it and just what's the overall perspective on the program at this point? You know, St. John's fans really have a really great reputation of not being the most level headed fans. It's typically the sky is falling after every loss. Doesn't matter who the opponent is. Um, and you know, they kind of get into, we're winning a national championship after every somewhat big win. Uh, but, uh, again, like the, this year has been kind of a bit pessimistic in terms of, uh, the, in terms of the vibes in the fan base. Um, we had kind of the expectation that we were going to go to the NCAA tournament at worst, uh, when the season began, but with non-conference play unfolding, St. John's had no big wins. They lost to Indiana. They got blown out by Kansas at UBS arena. And then of course they had the devastating loss against Pitt, even though Julian Champagne was out due to COVID. Um, and even in those soft non-conference games that they played, they didn't really look very impressive against them. I believe they had gone to overtime against NJIT. They had some close calls against Monmouth and St. Francis of Brooklyn. They didn't really look very impressive for a team that was supposed to be going into the NCAA tournament. But now that it's Big East season, the they have a chance to rewrite the script. And last night they played against a really good DePaul team, I'd have to say, compared to other DePaul teams of years past. Like I really believe in Tony Stubblefield and the work that he does. Like I feel like three, four years down the line, that this DePaul team could be a tournament team. But right now they're still kind of scrapping at the bottom of the big East, still trying to establish themselves. But uh again, I really do think that. You know, last night's win was a real good step in the right direction, especially when you consider that this team did not play for over 18 days due to a bunch of COVID cancellations and some 
positive tests in the program. So for the fact that the team looks so well offensively, despite the fact that they didn't play, you know, alongside each other in practice over the past couple of weeks and change, uh, I'd say that's really impressive. And it's also impressive to watch the performance of a guy like Julian Champagny. I think, you know, this team rides and dies by his play. Um, you know, when he's out there on the court, he can change the game in so many ways. And then when he's not there on the court, whether it is with a COVID positive, uh, you know, test or say he's on the bench, you know, this team looks very different. And it really looks like he's kind of the the heartbeat of this team. You know, he's kind of the he generates basically all the offense for this team <laughs> next to Posh Alexander, who's also in a very electric player that uh, could really, when his absence is on the court, it also hurts his team too. So, you know, those two players are really the keys to this St. John's team. Um, and, you know, I, other than, you know, Julian Champagny and Posh Alexander, you know, there have been plenty of question marks about who steps up. You know, the supposed 40 minutes of hell defense that Mike Anderson is supposed to, you know, input on this team, it's not lived up to expectations. They've looked spotty at times. In fact, they've had some very poor performances. I mean, if you remember, if you've watched the Kansas St. John's game, you probably remember the amount of offensive rebounds that have been given up uh, Mm -hmm. to Kansas in that game. And that was perhaps the difference in terms of Kansas being able to pull away and turn that game into a blowout. Um, And then you also have the defensive performance against teams like Monmouth, you know, even though Monmouth, I still think is perhaps one of the more respectable mid-major teams as a big East program, you should be able to put them away and not let them turn a game into a shootout. Um, And and in that case they did, they allowed, uh, I believe it was 83 points in that game. And uh, even though this team has the firepower, to go into a shootout uh, in terms of pushing the game into the 80s and 90s, they also kind of have the defensive vulnerability that enables the team to come back into a game like DePaul did last night. Yeah, no, and it, it's clear when you look at the metrics for this defense, they're, they're high end when it comes to steals, turnovers, blocks, things like that. But if that doesn't work, they can't force you to turn the ball over. There, there's going to be some issues. Bad at offensive rebounding. They allow the three ball quite a bit. And I know Mike Anderson's staple has always been the defense. So what's the, where's the issue coming from here? Is it some of the old guard or is it the new guys just not gelling with what Mike Anderson likes to do? It's more of just the team not really gelling. Because if you want to look at the build makeup of this team, the only three returning players from last year's team are Julian Champagne, Posh Alexander, and Dylan Deawusu, everyone else is either a transfer or a freshman. So they've had about 12, 13 games to get acclimated, you know, get adjusted to this system. And it really still feels like this team is still trying to figure themselves out on the defensive end. If you watched mm-hmm. the DePaul game last night, you probably probably saw the amount of dunks that guys like Javon Freeman like get. He had a wide open lane just for himself. Um, yeah. And, and that know, was that was it, late in that game in the comeback bit, too not like you're allowing that in garbage time yeah no this this was uh it was troubling to see at points um and uh you know it 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 surprisingly unsurprisingly it really felt like that uh it was just more of you know what we came to expect so far over these first 12 games of the season where you know the team's allowing open threes with regularity or allowing way too many points in the paint 
It's also the fact that our interior play hasn't exactly held up. You know, we expected guys like Joel Soriano, the transfer from Fordham, to really step into his own and perhaps be one of the first good St. John's big man in quite a while. But, uh, you know, he's had uh, some struggles, of course, in non-conference play, and he hasn't really established himself as the everyday uh, man in the middle for him. Um, and then you have guys like Omar Stanley, who's perhaps a little too raw. He's had some flashes of brilliance, but, you know, again, he there's times where he plays like a freshman and that's expected. And then you have guys like Isaiah Naiwi, who can also be hit or miss at times. So, you know, it it's also probably comes down to the interior play and St. John's they can get exposed by teams and in a matchup against Providence with perhaps one of the best centers in the country and Nate Watson, I'm not really looking forward to the matchup that is being presented there. Now, that is certainly going to be something to watch out for. This is not a, not a particularly tall or big St. John's roster. They're outside the top 100 on Ken Palm for that metric. Uh, now we talked about turnover. You mentioned that there's only three players left from last year's team of the new guys who can Friar fans expect to, to hear the names of called the most during this game, who've been the impact guys. Uh, you're probably going to see more in the starting rotation guys like Joel Soriano and Aaron Wheeler. I mean, Aaron Wheeler, his whole deal is being able to run in transition and make athletic plays. A lot of Purdue fans, when they talked about Aaron Wheeler, they said that he's a very athletic player for a man of his size. It's just a matter of that. He just didn't really fit into the system that Matt Painter wanted at Purdue. And, you know, perhaps right at St. John's when he's able to play in a high tempo system, Maybe he could succeed there, but we haven't really seen it. We haven't really seen him, you know, his uh, potential become realized. Uh, And a guy like Joel Soriano, you know, if he doesn't get into foul trouble, he may become a factor in this game. I mean, if you can watch some of the Fordham games of years past, he played against some really good big men, guys like Oshun Oshuni of St. Bonaventure, guys like Trey Mitchell of UMass, who's now at Texas and he's playing well there. You know, he held his own against those two guys. You know, he had double doubles in uh, multiple occasions against, you know, those two centers. So again, you know, this might not really be the game for Joel Soriano to step up, especially when he's going up against a nightmare of a matchup against Nate Watson in terms of what he can do when he's getting high usage, when he's being fed the ball in the post. Um, I, I really wouldn't expect a guy like Joel Soriano or Aaron Wheeler or any of the new coming players to really step up in this game. Uh, but I do think that, you know, they have the potential if the game plays heavily in transition that they can make a difference. Yeah, and playing in transition, that that's the name of the game for St. John's. You guys are like top five in tempo right now, I think. It's kind of ridiculous, and that's what Mike Anderson likes to do. That's where that, that defense from hell comes from that you were talking about. Yeah, second in possession length on offense, eighth in tempo, 15th in assists, which goes with that. That's that's You guys like to really push the pace and, and yep, get out. they run. They run. They, the, the entire team loves to run. And that was that's this is the whole M.O. of this Mike Anderson team. I think more of the reputation that Mike Anderson gets as a defensive coach is a little a uh, little, I guess, unwarranted. 
I think it's more of he's more of a high tempo coach. I think that should be more of his reputation of being a coach that loves to run, like loves to get his team out and running, loves to turn it into a track meet. I think that's that should be the reputation that Mike Anderson has, that he can be able to turn games into shootouts when his team is clicking and is on offensively. But if yeah. you've seen games where they played against Pittsburgh, who, you know, as we all know, have been one of the worst power five teams in the country. Now, despite that, they are also a very physical team. And St. John's just looked like they were outmatched by them when the game got slowed down and, you know, they had to be able to make a play in a half court set. And they struggled offensively then. Now, of course, they were missing Julian Champagne in that game. But that just shows how this team could really struggle once you slow the game down and you force them to really think in terms of making deliberate passes and being able to cut and, uh, you know, move around. And, you know, a team like Providence, I really think they're a team that really is able to constrict the game. They're able to, you know, limit the space of teams, you know, they, you know, guys like Nate Watson out there, but you also have, you know, players out there for Providence, like Al Durham, you know, guys like Noah Horkler. I, if AJ Reeves, if he plays on Saturday, I really think that he could also play uh, a bit of a difference in that game too. So, I mean, if this Providence team can really shrink the court and limit the spacing of St. John's and make Julian Champagne make circus shots, I think Providence is going to be able to take advantage of this spin. And I mean, this is talk about contrasting styles for this game. They're at opposite ends in the spectrum when it comes to size, when it comes to tempo, when it comes to turnovers, um, like three point shooting, the Friars, Friars like to bang in the paint and get it inside and St. John's defense, they're weakest on the outside, things like that. So I think this is just regardless of the quality of the teams, I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup and I think it's going to be really determined by who can set the tone early. That's an area where Providence struggled against Marquette. Marquette got the early lead, and Friar, that was it for the Friars. They just couldn't play catch-up. Do you think this St. John's team, if they're able to get a lead and able to kind of run the floor on the Friars early, do you think that's a lead they can hang on to? Now, when I've seen the St. John's team get out to early leads, it really feels like those leads are still not cemented. Like, they're not able to really build on those leads and run away with the game. We have not seen that this year against a good opponent. If you can recall, even against the Pittsburgh game, they were out in front by at least double digits at one point in the game. And we all know how Pittsburgh was able to constrict space and really frustrate the St. John's team. And they were able to claw back into the game and ultimately win. Um, this St. John's team, they still need to prove to me that they can hold on to a lead and a good lead at that and being able to take control of the game. In last night's DePaul game, I believe around the first half or the second half, they got out to an 11-point lead at one point. Actually, I'm looking on the Ken Palm page right now. <laughs> Their largest lead was 34-23 with 3.37 to go. in the, And they gave up that lead just yeah. as fast as they were able to put that lead up. And uh, I think that that's kind of a double-edged sword that comes with this Mike Anderson high-tempo style is that you're going to be able to go out and transition and generate buckets with a snap of a finger. But on that same end, if you're missing shots, the other team's going to be able to storm back on your back foot and being able to get easy shots. And, you know, for the St. John's team that gave up a boatload of interior points to this DePaul team that isn't perhaps one of the better you know, offensive teams when it comes to attacking the post 
I really have to think that if this Providence team, it really doesn't matter if St. John's, if they, you know, play well on and if this Providence team is able to bang inside and just being able to get what they want in the paint, it's not really going to matter. Um, but I really think the St. John's team, their path to victory in this game is going to have to come in running up the score and being able to put up 80 points or 90 points. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be a huge key. I mean, you beat DePaul, scored 89 points in regulation in that one. So, yeah, and this is the, a Friars team that gave up 88 points to Marquette the last time out, which was far and away the most that they've given up all season. The, the second highest they'd given up was 73, and that was the opener against Fairfield when you're still settling in. So I think that is going to be a huge story to watch in this one, and that, that'll be the key. Can St. John's offense get out and transition and dictate, or will the Friars actually be able to slow things down? I want to hear it from you. I want to hear. Do you have a do you have a prediction in this one? How do you think it's gonna play out? See, I'm calling the game, and I'm doing color for this game on Saturday. So I I really don't want to show my hand here, but I will say <laughs> I will echo your point in that whichever team is able to dictate their style of play is gonna win this game. Mm-hmm. Um, now I do think that this Providence team, I think they're one of the better defensive teams in the country, and you know they're number sixteen ranking in the AP poll despite the massive loss that he just had to Marquette. <laughs> yeah, that's going to uh, drop I, next week. <laughs> I, still, I, I, I still think that they're still one of the better teams in the country and one of the best teams in the Big East as, as they've shown it right now. Um, and I do think that it's ultimately, as, I, as you mentioned, it's just going to come down to which team can dictate their tempo and uh, go from there. I'm not going to make a concrete scoring prediction because, again, I'm calling this game. Um, but, uh, you know, as a St. John's fan, I have to say that this is perhaps the biggest game that St. John's is going to be playing right now in so far this season because they blew their first two quad one win opportunities. And for a team that now has the reputation of not getting a big win, you know, this is going to be a huge game for St. John's to be able to get the monkey off their back and being able to say that we have their uh, quad one win under their uh, under their belt. So uh, this was a huge game for St. John's and for Providence. If you want to make the case that they're playing up against a team that is, I think it's now a quad three opportunity that this could be turning out into a bad loss. If St. John's doesn't ultimately pan out, uh, you know, that could also, you know, be a big deal for you Providence fans too. Yeah, no, definitely something. Not a game the Friars can afford to lose. That's for sure. St. John's currently at 109 in the net. So yeah, not a not a home game that you can lose. Obviously, this will also be dependent on what happens for the rest of the year. Uh, as a Friars team that's actually lost three in a row against St. John's, and if you want to go back a little bit further against Mike Anderson, the uh, the. Ed Cooley is now one in four in his last five games against Mike Anderson. He was the coach at Arkansas when they knocked Providence out of the net a few years ago. Uh, That was actually right before he got fired and came to St. John's. So I expect both teams to be very, very motivated for this one. It will be at noon at the Dunkin' Donuts Center this Saturday. Thomas, thank you for joining us. I will let you uh, plug, plug yourself here. Where can the people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at TJ underscore Cavanaugh. That's C-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. I know there's plenty of spellings that uh, go around, but that's 
the spelling that you know my name goes by um you could follow my little podcast i have for st john's basketball called we are called we are new york's podcast to go off of the uh nickname that the school i guess apparently wants to go with for their program <laughs> um it's uh you can follow it at new york's podcast um, I'm going to have more content coming out for basketball season. And when baseball season ultimately comes around, which is really, really close from now, um, I'm going to be coming out with some baseball content with that, too. Yeah. Well, excited to hear that. Make sure you guys all go give them a follow on Twitter. If you want to find somebody that hates Syracuse basketball as much as you do, Friars fans, Thomas is the guy. Make sure you hit yes. that follow button for him. Hit that follow button on the Flex account, on my account, Joe's account. Everybody, make sure you're following and subscribe to us. And thank you for listening. We'll be back after the game.